0: Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Farmers are busy preparing to put crops into the ground. This time around, they have had a year of the pandemic under their belts. A lot has changed. Then again. Not a lot has changed. The supply chain issues have settled. While dairy farmers are not selling a lot to restaurants, there are more people buying milk for home. There was a lot of money from the provincial and federal governments to help make adjustments, and the food processing industry remains a bit unstable. There is a bit less uncertainty, but new issues are arising. While farming seems a solitary job, in fact, it is not. Farmers see each other at auctions, at church, at the co-op, and a host of other places. The isolation caused by the pandemic and lockdowns has impacted their mental health as much as any other business or person. There are also new pressures and challenges farmers are facing going forward. Today's show focuses on the local agricultural community. There is an interview with members of the Northumberland Federation of Agriculture. It will reflect on the past year, but also look at some of the struggles, successes, and the future of farming in the county. But first, here is my interview with the members of the Northumberland Federation of Agriculture. I'm so pleased to have with me today Northumberland Federation of Agriculture President Sid Atkinson and board member Paul Burnham. Welcome to Consider This.
1: Thank you. Thank you,
0: Sid, it was about a year ago when we first talked about the impact of the pandemic on local farmers. Uh, I'd, I'd like to find out how you're doing, and then I'd like to ask Paul the same question. How are you, each of you doing over the past year?
2: Well, Rob, we're in dairy, and dairy is basically essential, and it's pretty steady. We've had some quota cuts, and lately we've actually had some quota growth but the market for milk is pretty constant. And in fact, the, uh, it, it shifted and the processors had to what they call pivot because of the out-of-home market wasn't the same, but uh, the home market, people still needed to eat and they still wanted their cheese, they still wanted their cream, and they still wanted their milk. And there was a renewed focus, I think, on eating healthy. And that included dairy and more diets. So a bit of pivoting, but it did stabilize. On the farm it is still hard to get used to. Get your mask, go in and call ahead, make sure it's going to be there. And, uh, but you get used to it. You don't have to like it. You get used to it, I guess. It is getting harder to get parts sometimes and there are more dealers that are hurting for inventory. So that's gonna be the next big hiccup in the system, I think, and uh, even with that big boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal, a thing like that can really uh, disrupt the supply chains as far as uh, parts and uh, inventory for dealers and that kind of stuff. But life
0: goes on. Paul, how about you? How are you doing? Um,
1: I'll speak from the horticultural end of things. We have a a roadside market uh, where we market a lot of our own product. And uh, we have a lot of staff. And we probably talked a little bit about this last year. But um, we had to start our business on a roadside or just on an online order system. We didn't allow people in the store. We just did curbside only. Uh, so that was a whole new, whole new experience. We had to develop a proper online marketing system. Uh, we had help with that. And then we had to teach the staff how to take the orders, record the orders. And then when people drove in, how to uh, get the orders and uh, deliver it to the cars safely. So there was a lot of learning in that, a lot of disruption. Our business initially went down because people couldn't come in the store. Once we opened up in June, business did pick back up. We still only allowed a certain number of people in the store, Um, but business picked up. uh, Our Pick Your Own operation, which started with strawberries, is the, was the heaviest we've seen in years. Um, People were aching to get outside with their families to to do something, so they came and they picked strawberries and uh, there was a lot of happy faces. And that coincided with an excellent strawberry plant or crop. So uh, it was very easy to pick the berries, very satisfying for everybody that went there, but we had a lot of protocols set up. We had a lot of sanitizers. We had, again, a lot of masks uh, and we, and we're still, and this year we're basically going to be the same as we left off last year with a lot of, uh, a lot of care taken and keep things clean and keep people protected from each other. So that, that's how we went. Our migrant worker situation um, turned out. Okay. I had to do some, wheeling and dealing to get the proper number of guys here, but we managed to get them here and, and this year, we have two already, uh, two guys I asked for, And they're currently in, in uh, lockdown for two weeks while they while they finished their isolation. And they actually got their uh, COVID shots as they arrived in the airport. So that, that's good for them.
0: Sid, so looking back over the last year, what's the biggest changes to agriculture that were caused by the pandemic? locally
3: well
2: I see stressed people I see that lack of social interaction like in the agriculture farming world auction sales were kind of a social event and I've been to one sale in the last year And it used to be a case you go out and you talk to all your neighbors, you catch up on all the the happenings, and occasionally you pick up a deal. But the other part is you get to an appreciation of the value of your stuff, your equipment, and uh, it helps you out when it's time to replace it. You got something for sale, you know how it should be priced. That that's a, a social interaction that's missed. The, the county fairs or town fairs are missed. It, it's uh, I worry for people just on a mental health kind of a thing or, or wellness kind of a deal. Like it, all this added stress.
0: Do you feel that farmers are getting the level of support for mental health uh, i know there's been a lot of talk about supporting mental health for youth and there's been other sectors that have received funding and and supports for mental health what about farmers are you getting the support you need
2: uh, we believe we are the federation of northumberland federation of agriculture it has a farmer wellness program with a counselor that uh four free sessions, but you need to be a member of the OFA to qualify for this. The the real hiccup here is, you know, there are people that are stressed, but how do you get them to make that call? That's, and is there still a stigma associated with, with the the stress or like the mental health, like there is, it's a delicate subject, quite frankly.
1: Now Mm -hmm. the Quebec
2: situation, if I can go there, out of the neighborhood, so to speak, they have a program where you basically call in and say, hey, my neighbor isn't doing so well. Could you somebody out to visit with him? Now it's maybe a culture difference that thing will work in quebec but the other part of it is in ontario the sense might be well somebody ratted me out and somebody thinks i'm not uh not doing okay it's uh how do you bring those two together and and get something that's workable it is it's the challenge
0: and farmers tend to be independent individuals to begin with do you fear that we're going to see repercussions beyond this, in terms of maybe farmers walking away or leaving the industry because of the stress and, and the pressures.
2: It could be, and maybe sometimes that's not a bad thing. If their business is failing and the market, is the, they're a victim of the markets. They need to make. It. Reassess and say, is this going to turn around? Will I just continue feeding mm-hmm. against the wall? But uh, there are markets, uh, parts of agriculture right now that are booming. I mean, the price of crops for this year is just blowing me away how that market has taken off. I've contracted a lot of grain and I thought it was a fabulous price when I pushed the button and said, great, we'll do 100 tons at this price and 100 tons at that price. And and then you see it just blow by that price. And you think, wow, where will it end? But uh, it takes a wiser man than me to understand those markets. And then when you get speculators involved in those markets, and it's basically uh, people moving paper. You wonder <laughs> sooner or later it comes back to the farmer to actually produce that crop. So,
0: Paul, how, what changes have you seen over the last year that y- you root in the in pandemic?
1: What changes in the farming community in in your in your sector? Um, well, what we're doing right now on Zoom is is a major part of what we've been doing all year. Uh, I saw, I spoke to somebody the other day, I said, I'm zoomed out. <laughs> like we used to have a lot of meetings, like Sid said, uh, not only auction sales, but a lot of meetings, organizations, and we'd have face-to-face discussions and, and uh, kibitz with each other in person. Um, and that's gone by the wayside. Uh, Later in the summer last year, we had a couple of meetings outside with the federation, which was a welcome change. But as as the pandemic wore on and got worse again, we moved back to Zoom and uh, and yeah, the social interaction isn't there. Um, we go into town to get parts now or to get just the ordinary items, and a lot of it's curbside. You don't get to wander around aisles. It's it's just a a strange situation we've been doing it for a year and it still feels strange uh you don't feel see people's smiles or frowns or anything so it's it's tough like Sid said mental health wise it's a tough thing and if if somebody's not prepared for that then you know there's a lot of stress that goes along with that and uh, we have to just chill out I know we've been walking I walk a lot on the farm now (laughs) because just to get out and and enjoy the outside, and um, it gets your mind off, uh, gets your mind off the current situation. And, you can, and I don't listen to the news as much as I did because it's all negative about COVID. So, yeah, it's it's just, it's off. a thing. But well, that's it.
2: Right on. Shut yeah. the news off, and it goes away.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm pleased to welcome to the conversation the Ontario Federation of Agriculture Representative for this area, Bruce Butter. Welcome to Consider This. Thanks, Rob. We're just talking about uh, changes uh, over the last year uh, in agriculture that have been caused by the pandemic. Uh, maybe you could wade in from your perspective.
3: Well, I certainly have to agree what Paul and Sita said. I think the the face-to-face meetings and interaction it's probably has affected The farming committee, as much as anything, Uh, I think we still go out and do our day-to-day work like we have, and we've done that now for a year. But um, I am just right in the middle of a a two-day meeting right now for the Ontario Federation of Agriculture. Uh, Yesterday we had a full-day meeting, uh, sitting at a computer from eight thirty till four thirty in the afternoon. That's a drag for sure, and I think it begins to affect you uh, mentally and physically, um, and and from all across the province, people, their concerns are the same. We were discussing yesterday about what the OFA would look like moving forward and uh, um, as to our meetings, because we haven't had anything now since, uh, I guess last February, we haven't had any face-to-face. Um, been done, it's all been done by, by the internet. So, and everybody is the same. We really wanna get back to having face-to-face meetings. I think we miss that contact, we miss the vibes we get from, uh, from our other counterparts, especially provincially from you know all across the province. So we always get a perspective on what's going, happening across the province and we miss all that. So I think that, uh, that that's the biggest concern, obviously in some areas uh, COVID has really affected them with the, cause some of our members have uh, a large amount of temporary farm workers. And so they've really been impacted by that. Um, but they've kind of worked around that and the government has helped with those situations. So, but still people are still short of workers because of the situation trying to get, them, there. but, uh, I think, you know, we had a good year crop wise last year and that's kind of where we are. We continue to try and do what we do to make sure that there's lots of food and, uh, and feed, help feed Ontario and do it at a good price. So we've continued to do that through this, but, uh, I think the face-to-face and the personal interaction has really caused some issues and some mental health problems, uh, right across the province.
0: Sid, I'd like to go back and, and revisit uh, something that you talked about, which was the markets. Um, you mentioned about how some prices are are uh, going up at, at an incredible rate, but are farmers getting fair prices for their, their goods Right now, and, and is it looking positive going forward?
2: I think it is looking positive. Like high crop prices means high feed prices for dairies. Like our supplements that we buy, the protein based, because, well, quite frankly, protein, uh, soybeans have taken off dramatically. So any supplement we buy is based on protein for from soybean. There's a huge increase there. And that takes a year or two to work its way through the cost of production formula for milk. So right now the farmers are kind of sucking it up and, and paying it because we got no choice. But uh, we're getting by. The beef guys, it's harder for them they have to, if they got to buy hay or supplement for their feedlots or herds, it's tougher for them to recoup from the market. It's uh, a decent crop year last year. Well, God love him, he lives in an area that got rain. Some of us in the shadow of Rice Lake, well, we didn't get the rain. So we had, yeah, two thirds to three quarters of a normal yield. And what we did get was worth more than we anticipated. And if we'd held on to what we got, it'd been an extra, pretty near, well, it'd been a hundred dollars a ton more right now for corn, but who could have foreseen, foreseen that? And the market forces there with, the uh, With the Chinese, I guess they're doing a lot of buying on the grain market. And uh, if you go back to summer of last year and Donald Trump made a deal with the Chinese, he told the farmers, you guys get buying new equipment and farming more land because we're gonna need the crop. Nobody believed him, but son of a gun, it was right. So
0: people might have noticed that grocery stores have seen rises in, in prices for food um, and many grocery stores are reporting record profits. Are farmers seeing any of this additional money? Paul, can you maybe speak to that?
1: Uh, very good question. <laughs> Probably in some cases, yes. Uh, grocery stores are an odd duck because we can't, we can't really tap into selling locally. For the most part, we don't sell to local grocery stores. Um, they have their supply chains, they have their warehouses. Uh, so they buy large quantities. Um, I think this year, because of the lack of migrant workers in some places, some farmers reduced their crops because they didn't have the workers to to look after them. Um, so theoretically, that put the prices of uh, product up. Uh, I don't see a big increase in the price of food, uh, and as to whether farmers get a chunk of that, I think they they they're kind of at a level where they get a certain amount, and uh, it doesn't really doesn't really uh, vary that much, unless you're a large producer and has some has some pull on on the supply if you're just a small producer a few acres of this and that you kind of go along with the market and uh, i know in our place our stores we set the prices where we think we need to have them and we don't pay attention to supermarkets so we do all right but uh, if you're if you're doing wholesale you're, you're at the mercy of the supermarkets and uh, that can be good can be bad
0: bruce from a provincial perspective what are prices looking like and uh, as we are looking forward to the, the new season, um, what can we expect?
3: Well, like Sid said, I mean, there's 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 really small number of buyers, actually, that we sell our crops through. And uh, I've been in contact with several of them over the last week, even. And and that would apply right across the province. And uh, like Sid said, we can contract now for the crop that isn't even in the ground yet, uh, probably some... I would guess close to record high prices. So we have to look at that as being fairly optimistic, I would guess. Um, I just said talked about uh, that. That also reflects uh, uh, at the other end, I draw some uh, distillers uh, out of the plant in Havelock to a feedlot. And I think a year ago now we were buying that for $200 and the last load I got out of there has gone up to $340 a ton. So that's a big increase. and <clears throat> Uh, you need to have a big increase at the other end if you're going to accommodate that because they eat a lot of feed and they buy it. So that's a huge increase. So, I you know, it's kind of all relative, um, but it's hard to tell. I think our spring wheat crop looks really good. And so uh, it's kind of buried this morning by snow. I don't know what that's going to mean, but uh, anyway, we'll <laughs> see what happens going forward. But I think provincially, there's a lot of optimism. There always is in the spring and we um, just get back out there and... and do what we have to do and we'll get a crop in the ground, but to be able to forward contract it, which a lot of people do at least a portion of their crops um, at a good price, because last spring we were looking at terrible prices, the market wasn't good. So it's good to be able to do that. And I'm sure a lot of people are locking in some, at least part of their quantities right now.
0: Sid, a year ago, food processors were being closed or interrupted, have these issues been addressed properly over the last year, or what situation are we in currently?
2: That's a really good question. The processors are kind of at a squeeze point right now. They're being squeezed by the supermarkets, the retail, and quite frankly, they have to buy shelf space. And that is a a huge cost to them. If you don't have meet their price point, well, they'll go get, get it from, from somebody else. There's, you have to buy their loyalty, basically. And from the processors in dairy, I know it's a huge issue with them. They tar, try and get the retail to basically play fair. The, uh, like the Cargill plant in Guelph it processes a lot of cattle covid outbreak and they shut down their line and they told the farmers take your animals home the ones that were there now you've committed that animal you've got it to finish weight they basically don't feed them for the last day because they want those animals empty they don't want to be dealing with full stomachs and full intestines on the kill floor they want them to clean themselves out before they get there so now you got to take that animal home and it's had a bit of a setback and a truck ride and the stress of that and you have to deal with it that, that's hard um, price on beef I'm not a beef farmer but it's it is tough to reflect the increased costs that Bruce mentioned and the pressure at, well, processing, because they're pressured at retailing. But sooner or later, that's got to work its way through to the consumer's wallets. And dairy, well, we've got an established marketing system here, and farmers get their their fair share, and I say fair share because there's a cost of production formula that's based on the most efficient producers. So there is a constant need to stay efficient in dairy and update your equipment and keep your herd at optimum production. So we're kind of sheltered from that that the commodities that are basically on an open market, they get some pretty wild fluctuations in prices and then hopefully they can capitalize on the ups and survive the downs.
0: Bruce, is the OFA lobbying to get more uh, processors opened and maybe even smaller processors so that we're not so dependent on these large companies and, and the impact that the pandemic's having on them with the outbreaks? Uh, Has there been any kind of talk or lobbying effort in that regard?
3: Yes. Uh, Long story short, uh, we've lobbied the government uh, at every turn during the last uh, year. For sure, there's a tremendous shortage of uh, local abattoirs. Uh, I think probably if you're trying to book something into a local avatar, you're looking at six, oh, wait, probably more than six months now. It could be almost up to a year before you could get it again. So, and that's a, you know, there's a lot of local cattle and and meat goat through a local avatar. So uh, uh, some of them are really feeling a squeeze too. The government's putting a lot of pressure on them and some of them are just saying, Hey, we don't need this anymore. So they're even looking at going out. So there has been a lobby <clears throat> to try and, uh, to get the government to support them, uh, cut the red cape so that they can stay in business and even uh, try and uh, get some young people to try and or some new people come into that, that business to try and move some of these cattle that can move through there when some of the bigger processing plants have been have been shut down. So uh, we're doing that, it's an ongoing lobby, but like everything else, it's uh, it's sometimes hard to get the ear of the local politician the ones that are impacted, I know that we've spoken with Ernie Hardeman several times, and he definitely realizes the problem. Um, so they're working on it, but it always seems like it's hard to get the ear of some of the people that control the purse strings uh, for agriculture when you're talking to government. And, and it's been a bit of a challenge to try and meet with them. It has to be done virtually, of course. We are planning a lobby day to uh, be at Queens Park uh, virtually uh, the first week in May again, like we usually do. But um, trying to line up meetings and stuff and do it Zoom is—it's just—it's part of the COVID problem and it is an issue. But yes, uh, we're working on that, and we realize it's a problem right across the province.
0: Paul, you talked earlier about migrant workers having the year to. Uh, adjust to the system
1: how is it different this year um the organization that looks after the the migrant workers um has had a year to uh, streamline their process and this year it has been easier um one of the main things was make we had to make sure we applied early enough to um to get the guys down there notified um and it was very important to communicate with the guys what changes were up here. So for instance, they had to, in Mexico, they had to um, have a negative COVID test within four days of boarding a plane. So we had to communicate that to them so that they could get that test done and uh, so they could fly to Canada. Um, there are some more things we have to do this year. We have to, after 10 days in our isolation, we have to give them another COVID test to make sure they're still clean that way. Um, and just other than sanitization, sanitization and isolation procedures, it's it's similar similar to the end of the last year. And uh, so far, we've got the two guys that we wanted, and we're expecting two more in about ten days. So,
0: Sid, uh, I know the provincial government and the federal government have. Uh, done a lot publicly to say that they are supporting farmers and and agriculture how do you feel about the level of support that's been given to farmers
2: i'm likely a bad one to ask that question rob like the nature of our business we're in a protected market there's a lot of concern about spread of the virus, a lot of uh, do this, don't do that kind of stuff. They're all trying to keep us safe, I guess. But uh, as far as financial, I don't remember cashing any checks that way. There is a concern with in the Federation that personal protective equipment is a problem and they'd like help with that. And I could see in businesses like Paul's, that's a a bigger deal because he's dealing with the public and they have to maintain a higher level of sanitation than we do as a family unit working this farm. Our biggest thing on the farm is the milk truck drivers and the salesmen that come like uh salesman. Well, you don't have to come in. We can talk to you outside, but the whole milk thing that like we have to sanitize right from the doorknob to the handle on the milk tank, everything has to be wiped down and sanitized every morning when we're expecting that milk truck driver. And Oh, by the way, don't go and talk to him. He's got his job to do, and we want him to be safe and, and feel uh, comfortable and provides us with a good service and a valuable service. So we play by those rules, and life goes on. So, Paul,
0: how about you? How, how do you perceive it?
1: I made a button again, Paul. There we go. Um, I was asked this other day about the government, and um, I think they've made some good decisions. They've made some bad decisions, and I'm not defending or what they're doing, but they're only human. They have a number of advisors, medical and scientific, and, and uh, I believe they've tried to do the right thing it hasn't necessarily always worked. Uh, we did receive some money, uh, a wage subsidy for the first couple of months when our business was down and uh, there's a $60,000 loan that we qualified for. So there was that, um, those two programs that helped us along. Um, it's it's a new thing. Who would. We've never had experience with a pandemic before. We've never had a government that's had to deal with it. Um, I think leaving the airports open was a big mistake. That's why we have all the problem we're having now. Um, but then again, um, they have to tread a fine line between closing the country right down and dealing with businesses closing and trying to keep some of them open and and keeping supply for everybody who has to live in the country. So. I think you can blame them on some decisions, but on on the other hand, they've never, it's unprecedented. And hopefully, if this ever did happen again, they're, they're, they they they'd have some policies in place and and uh, they'd be able to handle it uh, a little bit better than they have. But I I can't blame them for what they've done, and uh, I think they're in no win situation in a lot of cases.
0: If you were to give the federal and provincial government a grade for their response to farmers during the pandemic, what would it be? Bruce, let's start with you.
3: Well, that's pretty hard to say. Um, uh, we're uh, The Ontario Federation of Agriculture is a member of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture and uh, the CFA is the organization that deals mainly with federal government. And uh, through them, we've been told uh that uh minister bibo who's a minister of agriculture uh, doesn't really uh have the ear of the finance minister and so it's hard for her to push any programs and get support for them like there's a suite of programs that are available called uh, business risk management the ag stability program a couple of years ago uh, it's it's a program where if you're uh Income drops uh, one year over the another, um, then it will kick in and provide you with some replacement income. They dropped it, uh, the reference margin, which they call the reference margin. It was at eighty-five percent. So, in other words, if your income dropped eighty-five percent or to eighty-five uh, percent, then you triggered some uh, some payments. They dropped that to seventy-five percent. So, really, and and it comes in the year after the, uh, the after the. The the, in the next year after your the problem occurs so um people were almost out of business and it you know if your income dropped by a quarter uh it had to drop by a quarter before you triggered anything so uh, they've been working with the government to try and increase that and get it back up to 85 percent and the federal government has responded and say they will but then they have to it's a cost share with the provincial government provincial governments have to to so they're working on that, and the federal government has said yes that they'll move that back up um, as long as they get the agreement of the of the other provinces. So, I I think I think I'm like Paul. I think they've tried. You know, there's an awful lot of demand, and there's a huge amount of money that's being put out there, and the farmers have got some of that and, and what they get helps for sure. So I don't know. I'm an,
0: I'm an educator. I I give students a grade. So could you give, could you give the governments a grade?
3: Well, I give them a 70% grade, I guess, on what they've done for 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 agriculture.
0: You give them a B. Okay. Paul, your turn. Be the teacher.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I basically was a 70% student during school. And I think I agree with Bruce. I gave them a 70% overall. Um, the big thing about agriculture is that we are a commodity that is absolutely necessary for for the world to survive on. Um, so we, were, we weren't um, shut down by the government. We were allowed to stay open. Uh, people have to eat. And... Uh, so in that way, we were, we were fortunate. So I'd, I'd give them seven uh, overall and uh, a big failure on the airport. That's my big bone of contention.
0: Sid, we'll give you the last word.
1: Oh, don't do that.
0: <laughs>
2: All right. Uh, my last word, I have to recant a little bit on that uh, financial aid from the government. Paul mentioned those loans and son of a gun. I do remember my wife telling me that she applied for them. My job is to fix things and keep the show running basically with the help of my sons. My wife, she looks after that financial piece of getting the bills paid and stuff. Uh, So yes, we did get in on those ones. Uh, As far as the government's, and their efforts, Uh, I'm not quite as generous as Bruce and Paul federally. I barely give them a passing grade. This whole business about uh, sourcing vaccine and that airport thing, uh, like having people under lockdown when there's still an average of 5,200 people a day going through Pearson, come on, seriously. That that's, doesn't make sense. And telling uh, people you can't go to the golf course for crying in the mud, that an outdoor sport where people are actually out getting sunshine and good for your mental health and good for your, your uh, getting some exercise and that stuff, and you are socially distanced and you are outside. I, I don't get that one. The restrictions on church services and that kind of stuff to the – it just plays on you. Um, so barely passing grade for feds for Doug Ford and his provincial, I really think his hands are tied. He has to be perceived that he's doing something. Maybe the country is looking to the likes of Australia that did a quite a severe lockdown and shut down their airports. And they seem to be getting by pretty good. They bounced through this. They went through a real month of hardship there, but it seems to be behind them. And uh, it's hard to get reliable information on what's going on in the rest of the world. How Canada seems to be the hot spot now even the states is saying don't go to canada those guys have cooties up there you don't want to go up there and how long ago was it that we were saying dude don't go to the states don't vacation down there you're down there it's a death sentence you'll die for sure so that piece of it is confusing to me and as bruce and paul alluded those guys are in a tough spot They have advisors, they have scientists, they have academics, they have, you name it, in their ear, telling them you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And they're trying to find a workable solution, a common ground, something that at least looks like they're trying. But to try and manage a population like what's in Toronto, and then having all that, human traffic coming through the airport. Man, oh man,
0: how can they win? Sid Atkinson, Paul Burnham, and Bruce Butter, thank you so much for talking to me today. Well,
2: thanks for the uh, occasion and the opportunity, Rob. And uh, look forward to doing
1: this again. Yeah. Thanks, Rob.
0: That was my interview with Northumberland Federation of Agriculture President Sid Atkinson, board member Paul Burnham, and the Ontario Federation of Agriculture Rep. Bruce Buttar. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more from Consider This.